Welcome to the Informed Pregnancy and Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Elliot Berlin. My awesome guest today is a fitness coach and a fitness app creator, as well as a mom of one currently pregnant with her second. She is planning a hospital vaginal birth after cesarean. Michelle Matura, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Uh, amazing. I'm so honored that you're here. You're kind of an incredible human. I say that a lot, but I mean it this time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? I'm from Los Angeles. I've heard of it. Yes. A little place on the West Coast. Yeah. Sunshine for all. And then what do you do for work? I'm a fitness coach and I did create an app this year and I've released like prenatal programs and I'm also actually in school working toward my doctorate in psychology. Oh my goodness. Ugh. If my trainer like could get into my head and make me do stuff, that would be like perfect. That's the goal. That is the absolute goal that I have. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's going to be amazing. And I don't know, part of me is like, okay, when you get that going on, call me because I need it. But then I'm terrified. No, you're fine. I hate working out. And then if you get in my head, you're going to make me do it. <laughs> I hope so. How did you get into fitness? Well, I would say I've just always been drawn to it naturally. My mom growing up has always been really into health and wellness and she's a holistic specialist. She's wonderful and was such a good influence in that way. And I wanted to feel my best, not just mentally, but physically as well. And then, I don't know, I just kind of realized I was working out as a passion and then as a really good outlet. And then it just became a career path while I was in school. Like working on it as a passion in high school, in college? Yeah, it actually in high school, it's just been a form of release for me. Whenever I found myself stressed, whenever I found myself needing me time, I would go on a run or I would do yoga as long as I was active and hiking and in the sunshine and moving my body. I noticed that my mind followed because I'm mm. always in my head, <laughs> as you know, Yeah, <laughs> and kind of having that escape between like reading and fitness. It's what works for me. Mm. Uh, similarly, when I was in high school, I started eating out with a passion <laughs> and I still do. I'm very good at it. You know, I'm pretty good at it too. Just eating the right things. Okay. Dr. B and then working out afterwards, I'm not going to sleep. So <laughs> at what point did you turn that into a more formal, like, I want to do this like for people for work. Well, um, I'd say two years ago, but initially I just wanted to really learn for myself. So I knew what I was doing right. And I wanted to be as educated as possible and make sure that I was taking care of my body and not doing things that were going to actually hinder myself in the future, decrease mobility, whatever it may be. And then I started training my friends and I was seeing results with them and seeing how happy and confident they were and how they were transforming mentally and physically. And that's when I was like, okay, I need to step this up and really open up to training other people because I want to be able to impact others in a positive way and share that knowledge. And I just started doing it and really dove in <laughs> head first for sure. Yeah. I think a few things that are awesome about you as a trainer, number one, like you are what you preach. So you're not just being like, Hey, you do these and I'm going to go over there and have a snack. Number two, you're very positive and encouraging and realistic. I feel like that kind of energy doesn't come, you know, it's sort of like gentle motivation. Well, thank you. Well, I think when I talk to other people, I, I genuinely truly try to speak to others as if I'm speaking to myself. So I like to do live workouts with people. I, I do live workouts on the app. I was doing live workouts on social media. And I found like, if you have that accountability partner, if you see, I'm not just telling you what to do. I'm sweating. I look like I'm suffering. I'm making mistakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not doing anything perfect, but I'm doing my best and I'm showing up and I'm showing up with you. And I feel that's been the most effective way because if someone just tells me what to do, there's going to be pushback. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I respect other people in that way too. And I'm like, Hey, you know what? We're in this together and I messed up. So don't feel goofy if you do either. And don't be hard on yourself. We're, 
you know, I always preach like we're striving for movement, not perfection. And mm. we're lucky we even get to move our bodies. Not everyone gets that opportunity. So I just try to make it a, a lighthearted thing because man, not every day is easy getting in there. Yeah. I can relate to that part of it. Um, <laughs> so then you said your mother was like a holistic practitioner. What kind of holistic practitioner? She does a lot of detoxes and health and like body wraps and lymphatic drainage. And she also works on interventions for, you know, substance abuse and everything is very, very natural. And like when we were younger, I mean, I don't even remember getting milk. Mm. <laughs> it was just soy milk. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not, not really milk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It is and it isn't. My friend Lois Black says it's not milk, it's soy juice. But you can't call it soy juice because it makes you gag when you say soy juice. So they have to call it soy milk. You know, you're not wrong. And soy milk is not my favorite. So I'm not mad at you for saying that. I do like the oat milk. I just learned oat milk's not the best for you. I know. I like it, though. I mean. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I like a lot of things. I think it was healthy. I I just said yeah. Out of all the not milk milks, I think I like oat the best. Really? I like almond, but oat is okay. Oat's okay. I like almond too. All right, let's move on. Okay, so where'd you meet your partner? Wow, we were friends for about six years before we started dating. Truly platonic friends. So we met through mutual friends. That's a whole other podcast time, but oh. I'll say mutual friends. <laughs> Okay, so you met through mutual friends, but over six years of platonic, we're buddies. How does that develop into we're a couple? Wow. Well, in a nutshell, in a nutshell, we really respected each other throughout that time period. We respected each other while we were in relationships. We never crossed those lines, but we knew there was a connection. And then he is a, a singer and songwriter. And there was a time where he was like, hey, would you be in my music video? And I was like, okay, cool. Like, let's do it. Cause I was doing some acting and commercial work at the time. And I did a music video with him and there was a kissing scene. I was in a relationship and he was in a relationship and just friends. We ended up kissing. And afterwards I was just like, oh no, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, but nothing came of it. I was a good girl and he was good, but we both knew, oh no. But again, we still didn't date after that. Nothing happened. And then the stars aligned. We both happened to be single for the first time at the same time. And we were like, let's go hiking. Let's just hang out and be friends. And now we are here with two babies and (laughs) happily engaged. (laughs) I never thought about that. Uh, Hey, you want to be in my music video? He's very creative. He, you know what? I, he's very creative and he's such an all around incredible, good guy and so thoughtful and genuine. And that's really what got me. Like, even as friends, he would just randomly be like, Hey, if you're not feeling well, like, send me something to like pick up my spirits, like, send me crystals. Or uh-huh. I don't, he just, he knew, he knew what he was doing. He's a smart man. Yeah. He's a smart man. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like a win win for both of you. Yeah. And then how soon after that did the baby come along? Pretty soon. But Pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, we just hit the ground running. And I think we both were just at a time in our life where he knew I wasn't going to date unless it was the person I really was going to be with. And he felt the same. And he was like, by next year, I want to have a family. Oh, wow. Yeah, he knew what he wanted. And I was like, let's take it slow. And again, here we are. <laughs> with another baby about with to... another baby who i was like let's wait another year but then you know here again <laughs> yeah so it sounds like the first one was planned you know always babies are only planned really that's not what i heard <laughs> all right we don't have to dig into that you're pregnant again i am <laughs> how was your first pregnancy Well, the beginning, I felt the first pregnancy, I was a little more emotional. My hormones, it was really hard for me to adjust, but I came around. I had energy. I felt physically incredible. I really lucked out. I had hardly any morning sickness 
And, you know, I, we went on our baby moon and I got a little bit more morning sickness because we were on a boat, which, you know, makes all the sense in the world. But I worked out the whole time. I meditated and it was an overall incredible pregnancy. I mean, you had been a worker outer for a long time by then, yeah. like working out pregnant. How was that different for you? Um, I had to really be patient with myself, take time with my body, really work on stability and balance and a lot of mobility. I also had to learn how to strengthen my body without tightening those hips, mm-hmm. you know, that you get so far. Yeah, <laughs> you've been working this, on me with. <laughs> yeah. What's the secret to that? I mean, if people could strengthen without tightening, that's the win-win. Yeah. Well, I think in the beginning you can work more on strengthening. And then when you get later into the pregnancy, the third trimester, you really start opening up the hips and you do workouts that are, you know, you're not worrying about the weight. You're just worrying about again, like stretches and movements, like moving lateral side to side and pelvic tilts and, you know, all that fun stuff. Super fun. (laughs) How is nutrition during pregnancy? The first pregnancy, I started off vegetarian and by the end I was vegan. Oh, so prior to pregnancy, you were not vegetarian or vegan? I was pescatarian. So I ate fish, but I didn't really do dairy. I wasn't as strict with it, but I did eat salmon and fish for the most part, but I hadn't had poultry since I was probably 13 or 14. Yeah. Well, if you call it poultry, who wants to eat that? Well, I mean, chicken doesn't Uh, sound like, oh, no, you're right. It doesn't sound much better. A burger? I don't know what. Okay, so was the vegetarian slash veganism and even pescatarianism, was that for health? No. Well, yes and no. I was a pescatarian because I just didn't like the texture of meat. I didn't like, you know, fish was easier for me to get down. I didn't like the smell of the other meat, any of it. It just turned me off. But I became vegetarian because I was told you can't really eat a ton of fish when you're pregnant. So I just X'd it out all the Mm. way. Okay. And then (laughs) Matt has chronic pancreatitis and he has to be very careful with his diet and what he consumes. And he was in and out of the hospital a lot when I was pregnant and we were just trying to figure out, we were really reaching. And one of the things we reached for was veganism. And he thought if he was vegan, that it may help with his pancreas pain because it was lower in fat if you did it right and it was cleaner. So I was trying to be as supportive as possible and turned out, you know, became vegan with him. And then I ended up staying vegan and he was like, yeah, this isn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) So he left me in the dust. (laughs) Was the pancreatitis diagnosed around the time you got pregnant? No, he's had it. I believe since he was 25, I could be wrong. I could be off by a few years, but he had it really young. Typically when you're diagnosed with chronic pancreatitis, you're it's later in life, but Mm. his, it's a genetic disposition and he didn't do anything to get it. It was, you know, it's just genetic, genetic bad luck Mm -hmm. because it's pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine, but I'm told that the pain could be worse than labor and childbirth, which I wouldn't know about that (laughs) (laughs) yet. (laughs) Okay. We're going to find out more about that. Actually, why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back and find out about your first labor and birth experience. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Berlin, and I want to talk to you about something that is close to my heart, literally, omega-3. It's a crucial nutrient that's sadly overlooked. With 95% of women deficient, Needed, the supplement brand I trust, created their brand new omega-3 soft gels. Designed by perinatal experts, they support you and your baby's well-being from fertility to pregnancy and beyond. Unlike other brands, Needed's Omega-3 is sustainable, pesticide-free, and third-party tested for purity. Plus, my favorite, it has a milder taste and smell, perfect for sensitive mamas. Don't wait. Visit thisisneeded.com and use code BERLIN to get 20% off your initial order. 
Experience the needed difference, consciously crafted for your health and the planet. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to Michelle, who's currently pregnant and just about due with baby number two. But let's go back in time and talk about the first birth plan. I mean, you grew up in a holistic house. You eat healthy. You work out all the time. You worked out through your pregnancy. What was your plan, if you had one, for your labor and delivery first time around? Well, my plan (laughs) was... I had a plan and it was to do a vaginal birth. I was open to having an epidural, but it wasn't the plan. And I didn't want any pain meds. And last resort would be a cesarean if my life or the baby were at risk. Okay. But before we go further, let's unpack that. No pain medication because why? I just don't feel they mix well with me. I just don't do well. I don't like the way I feel when I'm on pain medicine. I don't like the disconnection that I feel from it. I tend to notice I get a little moodier. So I was hoping, minus the epidural, like just really no pain meds. I'm not a fan of pain meds (laughs) at all. Minus epidural meaning you're yes to epidural, but no to like narcotic pain meds? Yeah. So okay. if I needed the epidural because it was just too hard, I could not push that. I, I understood that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to try and be a superhero, but, but the superhero. pain meds. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. But like pain medication, especially like opiates and stuff. Like I don't like them. Uh-huh. I get other people need them, but they're just not for me. I don't blame you. I mean, nobody ever offered them to me, but I think I'd say no. Thank you. <laughs> So that was the plan. And were you doing things to like get your mind ready for that? I mean, your body's you've been working on since high school, but were you doing things to get your mind ready for either the mental or physical intensity of bringing a baby into the world through your body? I thought I was, but I think my scope sense has been broadened on what really that means and what it entails. But at the time I was like, oh yeah. I'll totally get the app headspace and I'll meditate. They have a pregnancy package and then I'm ready. Obviously that's all you have to do. (laughs) (laughs) An extra five 99. (laughs) I was like, I'll obviously just meditate for five minutes a day and work out. And that's really it. I mean, what kind of meditations were in the pregnancy package? Were they preparatory for birth type meditations? Yeah, it was just kind of about connecting with your body and connecting with your baby and imagining, you know, this white light coming down and wrapping it around your baby and you and thinking of calm things. But it by no means was like a labor hypnotherapy session. And you were planning to give birth at a hospital? Yes. With a medical doctor? Yes. Okay. And anybody else on the team? No. (laughs) Okay, so you and Matt and... Yeah, me, Matt, and a doctor. My doctor, who was my OB at the time, I think she's a great person. She's a great OB. But I asked her, hey, can I have a doula? Like, I heard that it would really help during, you know, pregnancy. And especially because Matt does have a condition, I wanted to make sure that he and I both had support just in case he was having a flare-up. And she basically was like, you can have me or a doula. Oh, ouch. Yeah. And I didn't know, you know, and from my experience, which was very little, you know, she's a doctor and I'm not, I'm like, well, I'd obviously rather have a doctor than a doula. Like, you know. Right. I mean, it's usually not one or the other. They play very different roles. Did she have a bad experience with a doula? Did she explain that position? If I'm being honest, like I just didn't question it. I just said, okay, good. I kind of felt maybe intimidated by the credentials. I don't know what it was, but I just didn't in that moment think to question her. And I thought, okay, cool. In a conversation, like obviously she's done this more than I have. So I'm going to trust that I don't need one. Okay. Did you do any childbirth classes? I thought about it. Does that count? Sure. Of course it does. uh, okay so you didn't do any classes and you've never been to a birth before no okay no you you actually showed me my first birth (laughs) oh on the video 
Okay, and then Matt hadn't been to a birth before, so no. you were just kind of winging it because you had the headspace. Yeah, you know, well, I just, in my mind, I just was like, you know, millions of billions of women have done this. Like, I'm no different. And I got it. And I really pride myself on being resilient mentally and physically. And I just was hoping for the best. And I thought, you know, my doctor and my birth plan just had my back. And we were on our merry way to a happy labor and delivery. (laughs) Look, I mean, I'm actually, I don't think it's a terrible plan if you know the system. Right. I almost Mm -hmm. think that's a much better plan if you're planning to go outside and squat in a strawberry field, have your baby and come back in. But the system is where sometimes those childbirth classes really come in helpful or doula comes in helpful. Mm -hmm. So in your case, how did your labor start? Um, We are actually we're on our way to dinner and I was like, hey, let's just stop by my doctor's appointment real quick. I will say that on my way to dinner. (laughs) I was 40 and a half weeks. Actually, I was 40 weeks plus five. So right there. And I was like, oh, I just have to go in really quick. She just needs to check me out really quick. And when I got in there, she was like, Michelle, your amniotic fluid is extremely low. Also did not know what amniotic fluid was. Just sounded awful to me. And I was like, oh, "Oh, are we, are we okay? (laughs) And like, are we good? And she goes, no, you need to get admitted to the hospital and we need to induce you. So already, like, I didn't even have my hospital bag. I didn't already my birth plan. I was like, but, 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 but the controls go on, you know, and also you didn't eat dinner yet. The worst part about it is I didn't eat dinner. You're right. And there's nothing worse because I knew that when I went into that hospital, I was getting ice chips. Mm, yeah. So I was, if you're just, lucky, if I'm lucky. So I was just not pumped. Oh no. So, so you literally just got in the car and went to the hospital. Yeah. So we went to the hospital and did you have your bag? or anything no nothing. i had nothing uh-uh did you yeah. have a bag at home packed With and ready my, to go yeah my birth but, plan my bag everything but literally no time to go get it no because we live further out okay we live about like further out of the city and i asked her can i go home she said no you need to be induced it's very low. I don't know how low it was. And if she would have told me, I would never be able to remember because it meant nothing to me at the time. Sure. I didn't understand it. (laughs) Yeah. No, nobody knows like what a normal amniotic fluid is. Like most people don't have any idea. I had no clue. I just knew like, okay, great. I don't get to go to dinner and I don't get to get my bag. We have to go get admitted. So that's what we did. And we showed up to the hospital, just Matt and I. And no birth plan. Well, and a baby. Okay, no birth plan. Uh, just my mind is weirdly curious. What was the most important thing in your bag that you didn't have that you wish you would have? I think <laughs> probably my phone charger. <laughs> yes, honestly, I was making a lip balm joke, but phone charger would be number one. It was probably my phone charger and my gown. Like I ordered like a special hospital gown because I didn't want to wear the hospitals. So I was like, there's no way I'm wearing that. I want my special pretty gown. And you know, luckily my father-in-law, he brought it all. So in the end, it was fine. You can always count on your father-in-law to bring the special pretty gown. <laughs> yeah, he brought my hospital bag. I oh, think. the whole bag. Yeah. Okay, so you're there and they're like, we got to induce you right away. Uh, had you considered induction? Like familiarity with the different methods of induction? No, I was not familiar with it because my mom has had five kids. And she was late, like two weeks late with each of us, about a week or two. And with my mom, she is a superwoman, especially when it comes to being pregnant and having babies. I don't know like what superpower she has. So I just was like, oh, genetically fine. I'm fine. So, you know, you didn't think so, about induction. No, she, you, she went into labor naturally. She never needed assistance or anything. Do you remember what they did to induce you? I believe they gave me Pitocin. Okay. IV drip. Yeah. An IV drip. And so at that point, no epidural? No. Just Pitocin. Did you feel labor kick in? Not really. I thought, oh, wow, I have such a high pain tolerance. This is unreal. You know, Um, I wasn't in pain. I felt like almost like Braxton Hicks happening where I felt the tightness of the stomach and the release. I felt the waves. And I was like, if this is all it is, like, I got this in the Mm -hmm. bag. 
So they came in and they checked on me and I was still riding that wave. And through the night, I started to feel some contractions, but nothing too painful. Okay. And were they checking you to see if you were progressing? Yes. And I wasn't. You were not progressing. Okay. Mm -mm. So what happens next? So my doctor comes in at 7.30 in the morning and she checks me and she was like, basically, what the hell's going on? And she calls the nurses in and she's like, she hasn't dilated at all. Like, what is happening? She's had the Pitocin on all that. Like, she's, what is going on? And the, her and the nurse and the doctor start arguing in front of us. Oh. And, you know, Matt and I are just like, what is happening? Like, did we do something wrong? So I'm assuming what was supposed to happen was the nurse that we had throughout the night was supposed to up the Pitocin every so often. However, yeah, my body's uh, responding. Right. She didn't. Oh, she just so left it flat. She left it flat at a low level. So I had no progression by the time the doctor came in and it was just a total miscommunication or a lapse of judgment on the nurse's call. I don't know who to blame, but it was just an oversight. So from that point on, the doctor said, up everything. Oh, I'd like, give her what her body can take, up the Pitocin. Oh, wow. So however, yeah, to what her body and the baby can take. So now it's been 24 hours and I'm feeling contractions. I'm feeling the wave. I start dilating. I start making progression. I remember I was at four and then five. Was that exciting? It was. I thought I was doing this. We got it. But by the time the night hit, that second night, I remember my water finally breaking. On its own? Yeah, it finally broke on its own. And the contractions were starting to get worse. And then more intense and more intense, I will say, not worse, just intense. Ah. <laughs> and, and then they finally were like, because my body just was tired at this point. Yeah. And we were there for so long. So they were you right? Just the ice chips this whole time? Yeah. They mm. still know food. Yeah. Oh, Thanks God. for reminding me of the, that was the real trauma. <laughs> Would be for me. <laughs> so I guess by then things just started going downhill. And it was a really rough night for the baby, Matt and I. And the nurses all were coming in, trying to put me in every position possible because we were losing the baby's heart rate. And at a point, it completely dropped. They're, I'm with, with an oxygen mask on all fours, just trying to do what they can to get movement. And I, like I said, I had the epidural at this point and I dilated till six. And we did this throughout the whole night. And you mean watching the baby's heart rate sort of dip, come back, dip, come back, move to the side, move to that side? Mm-hmm. Boy. And they were all running in like a rush, like the room would fill with nurses. And they're like, get her up, get her up, get her up, put her on our floors, put her on her side, give her the oxygen mask. And like, there was a point, you know, where by this time I just had so much fear because I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what my body was doing. I didn't know if my body was working with them or against them. I just had no idea what was happening and why my body wasn't working. But at the time I was like, my body's not working. Why am I not dilating? But it was really like I was dilating, but the baby and my body were so stressed at this time. Like his heart was so stressed and it was just too dangerous. So Did then we nobody reached, really explained to you what was going on. We would ask our questions, you know, we didn't really get in depth answers. Like we just need to keep moving you. We need to keep monitoring him. We need to make sure like, it's fine. We're just going to keep pushing and keep trying. We're going to lower the Pitocin again because it's too much for him. You know, it's too much on the baby. So we're going to lower it and see if your body can start to do it a little bit more. And by this time, I think it's like seven in the morning, the next day, <laughs> another day. And the doctor came in and she was like, what happened last night? What is going on? I was like, you tell me. <laughs> you know? Like, I have no idea. And then she ended up said that, you know, I just need to let you know, Michelle, like, I know this was your last resort, but we need to get the baby out of there. Like, and now. And I was like, well, I can't push yet. And she's like, no, we, you need to have a C-section, you know? And then it was because the baby had like fetal distress. And 
she said, I'm going to give you some time to think about it. You can always refuse, but we need to get them out now. And I was like, it doesn't sound like I have the opportunity yeah. to refuse. Your baby's because- in grave danger if you don't do this, but why don't you take some time? Yeah. It over. And, so, and by the time she came back, they were already like moving my bed to, you know, get ready to go and handing the outfit to my partner. And my mom came in and she just was crying because, and I was like, why are you crying? And she's like, cause I know you want to cry. <laughs> You know, I know you're hurting and I know this is the last thing you wanted. You know, I'm hurting for you. And I was like, okay, you know, yeah, this this isn't ideal. But obviously when push comes to shove, I want what's best for the baby. And as far as I know, this is what's best. So let's just do it. How was the actual cesarean birth? I learned that I'm nutty. I was just making jokes. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I was making jokes. I was asking Matt to take pictures and it was like, you know, it's not like a beautiful thing. Cesarean Um, selfies. You know, I was selfies. Yes. I see what you did there. Thank you very much. Um, I was so out of it. You know, I hadn't eaten in 36 hours and I was on meds and IV anesthesia at this point and epidural and i think a pain med who even knows so a little blurry yeah i just was like what's happening at least you have pictures yeah and i was looking mad and i was like wow you look hot in that gown (laughs) 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 he was like what is wrong with you (laughs) well i mean good at least you have the flexibility and the fun mindset to be able to roll with the punches, switch gears. And, you know, like you said, that's what you were told is the best thing for your baby. And you said from the beginning, that's what I'll do if I have to. And you did. Yeah. I was using humor to mask, obviously, how upset I was, you know? Yeah. I was definitely using humor because if not, I would just sort of been emotional and I didn't want to be at the time. I didn't want to make it scarier than it felt. That makes sense. He came out healthy. He came out great, yeah. And you came out healthy. Yeah. So there's something for that. Yeah, I know. And that's what matters at the end. So I'll work through the PTSD later. Before we go to break, like, what did you eat? Like, what was the first thing you ate? Do you remember? I can't remember the first thing I ate. I feel like Matt got me, like, some sort of popsicle that I love and maybe Air One. Oh. Not to sound, like, bougie, but I feel like that's what I ate, like a breakfast burrito or something like that. I feel like they should sponsor this episode. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing I ate was Erwan. Shout out to Erwan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and find out about this pregnancy and your plans for the imminent birth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. We're talking to a super pregnant Michelle Maduro. And in our story, you just had your cesarean birth with your first baby and definitely wasn't planned, wasn't what you wanted, and you made the best of it, but you didn't really feel great about it. How did things progress after? How was your recovery? Recovery for me just sucked. (laughs) I'm so used to being active and having that movement and I just couldn't do very much. It was hard for me to walk up and down the stairs. My mom had to give me my first bath. Oh, like the good old days. Yeah. My mom was back to bathing me. (laughs) I had staples across my belly. And it wasn't a very pleasant experience for me. And I don't know if there's some people that have C sections and then they just get up and go. That's awesome. Good for them. But I didn't have that same feeling and especially mentally and emotionally, I felt it really dragged me down. And I do feel it played a big part in postpartum depression that I ended up having for about maybe four to six months after. Oh, wow. Did the postpartum depression, how did you know that's what you're having? Like, what were your symptoms? I was having trouble connecting and I was having- Well, yes, with the baby and no, but also just with myself and my surroundings and the adjustment. And I knew this is the happiest moment of my life, but it didn't in my heart feel like I wasn't jumping over the moon. I was like, wow, like 
I feel this heaviness and I know I love this baby and I feel I love this baby and I'm so madly in love with my partner, but why am I feeling so heavy? And I just remember calling my mom and crying. And I just was like, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I've never been so sad. And she was trying to be as supportive as possible, but I was on anesthesia and I was on painkillers and I did have an experience that I wasn't anticipating and it was traumatic. And I was acting like everything was fine when it wasn't. And then to just do the icing on the cake, then that's when the pandemic started. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. I guess it was probably your fault. Yeah. So basically it was all my fault and I started, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe it was you. All me. And we couldn't have help at the time. You know, we had help for maybe like a week or two. And then she was like, hey, I have COVID. Oh, Um, no. At the very beginning? The very beginning. The bad one. Yeah. The bad one. And Matt and I just said. Bye. Sorry. You know, so it was just Matt and I, and at that time it was lockdown. We didn't have a ton of family that was coming over. We had, you know, my father-in-law coming over, you know, and, and here with us and his amazing, incredible girlfriend. But for the most part, it was me and Matt and he has a chronic illness and I have postpartum. So it felt very intense at that time. I mean, thank God for everyone. No, because we weren't going to Erwin. They deliver. <laughs> Erwin delivers. No, not to where we live. Oh, not to where you live. Oh. No. Uh, if only you had Erwin. If we had Erwin, I'm sure that life would have just been just completely different. Cheeky. Totally great. How did you deal with uh, postpartum depression? You know, therapy. Were you in therapy sunshine. before that? And you yes. applied it to the postpartum? Yeah. Big, big advocate of therapy. I don't care who you are, what you do. I feel everybody on this planet could benefit from therapy. I think it's true. Like the way we are built and the world that we live in, it's just a lot for Mm -hmm. the mind to process and handle even when things are going well. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't hurt to have someone to talk to with a non-biased opinion and who is really advocating for you and your mindset. So I'm really lucky that I had that in place already before. Mm -hmm. And I have a really supportive partner and I can talk to him about anything and everything, which really helps as well. And my family's really supportive and loving. So they were very gentle with me at the time, which helped a lot. Oh, you have an amazing family all around. My family's nuts, but one thing they know how to do is love hard. So mm. I'll take <laughs> it. I'll take they're, they're a wild bunch, but they're a bunch of lovers. So nutty, nutty hard love. <laughs> so did your body recover in the way you had hoped? It did. Um, I still get a little bit of pain. And every time a doctor sees my scar, like, oh, it's not a keloid. It's some sort of other scar. It just didn't mm. heal pretty or right or whatever it was, you know, and there was weird times where I would feel like I'd put my hand on my stomach after I ate and I'd feel the bubbles, you know, like I was like, did I get put back wrong? Oh, it didn't feel that good for me. So oddly, an OBGYN once described to me how her perception of a cesarean is. And she said, if you ever go camping, like with a tent, and it's your first time using that tent and you take it out and you pitch it and you have a good three days of camping and then you take your tent down and go try stuff it back in that bag that it came in you can kind of get it in there but it's not like it was when you got it that's how she kind of describes this area i've never done one or had one she never had one either but she's done many of them and that you know when she was thinking about her own birth plan that was something that was in her mind, like mm, a cesarean may not be too bad, but I know I'm not going to ever be exactly the same. Yeah, I can empathize and relate with that. Even my belly button got different. It's like an Audi now, but if that's the worst case, I think I can live with that. But <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, mean, I, think, you know, I like, hope so. I'm like, you know, I'm never doing that again. I'm an Audi belly button. <laughs> Maybe so, it'll go back in. It felt weird. I felt unsettled for a few months after, but I did find normalcy in that feeling again and in my body. And I also, when the second I got the six week, okay, to work out again, you know, I was back at it. You're on it. Yeah. 
which I uh, think actually helped with my recovery a lot. All right. Now you're pregnant and you have a kid. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. We're still in a pandemic, but not quite as crazy. I feel like it's toward the endemic, but I'm not. It's a toward the endemic, source. but even like, I mean, just for reference, we're literally past Omicron already. And, you know, we've gone through this transformation from the first COVID that came around, the first strain, where everybody's like, oh my God, I don't want to get COVID because I don't want to die. And then Omicron came around and people were like, I don't want to get COVID because, you know, I need my nanny and my whatever. You know, it's a, a total shift to people who are saying, gosh, I hope I get COVID so <laughs> I'm immune longer. It's just mm-hmm. changed a lot. And now the masks are coming off, even in Los Angeles. And it's, you know, you brought us a pandemic with your first baby and you're bringing us out with the second baby. It's very nice of you. You're very welcome. Just trying to do my duty. <laughs> Your part. You're the best, Michelle. Okay, so now pregnant again. How is this pregnancy going for you? Now, it yeah. is great. Okay. It yeah. is great. In the beginning, I would describe it something like a layer, like a different level of purgatory. <laughs> oh. It was awful. What happened? I had... Um, hypermesis gravidarum is that how you say it oh hyperemesis yeah you were throwing up a lot just not a lot a lot is an understatement it was so hard for me to even get out of bed vomiting so terribly so nauseous I couldn't even make it to the toilet I would throw up in my sink I would throw up wherever I could I'd be outside I would be walking it was so bad did you lose weight Oh yeah. I ended up dropping down. I'm already pretty small and I lost a lot the first trimester. Yeah. I was only asking because one of the signs of hyperemesis versus let's say nausea and vomiting of pregnancy is weight loss. Oh yeah. I dropped down to, I mean, maybe, I don't know, a hundred pounds. It's like, I'm supposed to be gaining weight Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I also had severe hair loss and started losing all my hair because I couldn't even get the prenatals down. They made me sick. I was listening to my OB and I started eating eggs and protein shakes. So, I mean, I've always had protein shakes, but I, I started eating eggs again because I was like, whatever is going to be good for my body and this baby. I don't. Oh, you were still vegan? Yeah, I stayed on that whole vegan diet. <laughs> Because by the time I committed, I was so grossed out by everything. So Uh I just actually stayed vegan, which I feel I may not have done it the best because I lost my supply early. I don't know what it was, but because I work out, I just needed to have more protein. So it was really hard. I didn't work out like in the beginning. Did your doctor call it hyperemesis? Yeah. Was there any kind of like therapy or treatment for it? IV. How often? Um, I only had gotten it once and then I refused it again because after I got it, she had them put vitamins in it. She's like, you need your vitamins. And it made me so sick that after the IV, I was worse. And I was on the bathroom floor, just like hugging the toilet. And at this time, Matt's schedule is really crazy busy. And I think he was on tour at this time. So I was just home and... I have my sister who helps and she would come up and bring me some Gatorade and then, you know, crazy family who knows how to love. Yeah. (laughs) It took me a while to get through that phase. I think it finally ended when I was like four or five months where I was finally able to get a grip, but I still had to start slow. Everything was still making me pretty sick. And then I also had the stomach flu at the same time. That's amazing. That sounds so (laughs) comfortable yeah okay now you know after you have a cesarean birth your next pregnancy of two options you could have a repeat cesarean or go for a vaginal birth after cesarean have you made a decision which one you're aiming for i'm aiming for the v-back and i would like so deeply for that to happen because i feel like it's possible so this time around we are taking VBAC classes. I have listened to as many podcasts, videos. I now have a doula. Even at around 32 weeks, I switched OBs to a different OB who we feel is more suitable for the procedure. 
for the VBAC. Oh, like who, yeah, VBAC like, the labor. Is, yeah. Well, it was a procedure for me last time, so I don't say Truth. ever like labor and delivery. Truth. I'm like procedure and birth. <laughs> like, yeah. No, totally. I get that. I mean, but the whole thing is by definition, VBAC is the absence of a procedure. It's just yeah. without intervention. And so now I'm understanding that knowledge. I know knowledge is power, but now I know it's freedom. It's being able to advocate for myself. The more I know, the more comfortable I'm going to be in that room, the more comfortable I'm going to be to stand up for myself and my body and know what to expect a little bit more and not be so intimidated when a doctor tries to tell me something or a nurse, like I can second guess them. They are people. And if I feel it's going against what I want to do or what I feel like my body's capable of, I can advocate a little bit more knowing that, you know, I'm not going in completely blind. No, I don't have the experience or the credentials, but I am learning as much as I possibly can before I get to that point. And I am putting in that work. I'm also seeing obviously you who I think makes a huge difference in preparing my body. (laughs) I mean, it's, it it makes a huge difference. I could tell in my body, it's just, my hips are getting looser. My mind is better. Like, I mean, you've helped guide me so much, you know, when we first sat down, you asked me like, Oh, you know, so you want to try for a VBAC or cesarean? I was like, well, I'd like to do. And you're like, sounds like, you know, (laughs) you need to listen to these podcasts and do this and you know what you want and don't let other people bully you. And I was like, Hey, you're right. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you never know how it's going to go. Right. But if you want something, you got to go for it. You got to aim for it. It doesn't just like show up on your radar. Yeah. I told it was almost like, it was such a no, no. I was told that after you have a cesarean that you should just have another one and that your uterus was going to explode and that like no doctor really wants to do it. And it's just more difficult. And I I just heard so many negative things about it. But then after doing the research, I learned that couldn't be further from the truth. They both have risks. The Syrian, a second Syrian has just as much risk as a VBAC. If not more, they have different risks and, you know, and some of them are for this pregnancy. Some of them would be, if you're planning to have another kid down the road, then how you do this one will affect that pregnancy and birth. There's a lot to consider. There's pros and cons to both and it's not black and white. And as long as you learn the risks and benefits and make a choice, then we're supposed to support you in that choice. And, you know, the current recommendations are that more people should have access to VBAC. It got a bad rep. And there are risks. There's certain things you can do to mitigate the risk. There's certain things that we can do if those things happen to immediately jump into action. But it should be your choice. Yeah, I agree. And I feel like when I started to learn more about it, the risks were worth it. And just even with the healing alone, I just was like, wow, especially now having a toddler and a newborn, I just feel that, you know, recovery will be smoother. I feel it'll be easier to connect. I feel that I won't have to be on pain meds after the birth, which is a huge bonus. Again, obviously if push comes to shove and I have to do what's best for the baby or my body, I'm not going to give so much pushback that, you know, I'm doing this just because I've made up my mind and I don't care what anyone says. No, I just want to be able to know that I have the ability now to make an informed decision. That's amazing. I have so many questions. Are you going to bring food? I don't know. We don't have to tell them. Yeah, I don't know. But like, I don't want to like poop my pants or something. (laughs) Oh, that's what you're worried about? I mean, I don't know. I have this discussion from time to time on the podcast. And, you know, observations of a male doula, number one, in the moment, usually don't know or care. Number two, nobody else around you cares. Generally in the hospital, especially the one that you're going to, you have like layers of chucks, disposable chucks underneath you. And if uh, something comes out, it's not usually buckets of poo. It's like a sliver. And (laughs) you don't even know sometimes that they've just wiped it away and taken out that chuck and you have it, you're sitting on a clean one. Look, I get it. I'd be mortified. But just from observation, my patients who have been really nervous about that in the moment couldn't care less. Yeah. You know, I'm just here to keep it real. And I, you know, 
I just don't know how I feel about all that. And I get it. It's all natural. And it's like, you know, and there's just so many other women. It's like, it's just relaxed. It's natural in the process. And, you know, more power to them. Oh, you and don't, you're not buying anything I'm saying. Okay. No, hopefully <laughs> I'll get there. You know, hopefully I'll get there. But, you know, like, I feel like you, you know how my mind is, you know, at this point. And, you know, maybe I'll get there. I'll loosen yeah. up a little bit. Again, in the moment, it's a little different than now. Yeah. So did you get another cool nursing, I mean, a labor gown? I have to order it still. I'm working on my hospital bag now. I had to work on everything else first. And now that the nursery's done, I feel like okay, uh, I can get the hospital bag ready. Okay. Food for thought. Sometimes fitness people like to wear fitness clothes when they're in labor. You mean what I'm wearing while in labor? I was like, well, you mean what I'm wearing right now? <laughs> yeah, I can't see exactly what you're wearing right now. But yeah, like what you would wear if you were going to work out. No, why would I want to wear pants? That oh, it so doesn't have to be pants. It, not, it doesn't have to be pants, but I mean, like the sports top. And you know what people wear sometimes who are athletic or like a little tennis skirt? Just something that makes you feel like when you look in the mirror, you see active healthy strong fit not like a hospital gown even the nicer ones are like i'm dependent i need help somebody has to take care of me it's just a different mindset the psyche when you look in the mirror when you put on workout clothes then you have like an energy about you that's different than when you put on like a hospital gown i have to admit i didn't really look at it that way it's food for I've, thought. I've, I don't know what it's food for thought. I've never even worn a really a tennis skirt, maybe since I was five, but you know, I wear them all the time. <laughs> I've seen it. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's food for thought. You're right. It's something to think about, but I just want to be the most comfortable. And I'm hoping that I'm just going to feel empowered either way. And I feel like as long as I can get my mind to really relax, and that's where I'm really leaning on my doula for you know, to help me really just melt. That's what I'm hoping for. I know from firsthand experience that you are an intense fighter. (laughs) Like I would not want to be on the receiving end of your angry fight, but you're also a very powerful releaser. Like when you get in there and take the reins of your nervous system, you can really just melt into it whatever you need to melt mm-hmm. into. So I think that'll be a big piece for you like that with a little bit of luck and you should be golden. Are you going to labor at home at all? I was told that I'm not supposed to Uh-oh. because I, I know, because I know I was told because of the cesarean that when I start to feel those contractions that I should be going to the hospital. So I questioned that and, you know, like obviously you've shown me examples of women who have gone completely the other way and done VBACs at home, no meds, just with a midwife and it's been successful. So I have a little bit of hope that I could do some labor at home and then go, but the hospital is a little far for us. So Yeah, so that's where the hotel comes in handy. Yeah. Labor at the hotel across the street from the hospital. If you feel like that's what you want to do, you have to do what feels safe to you. And those women that have VBAC at home, we have many of those stories on here. They do, though, have a midwife who is a medical practitioner with them, monitoring them, monitoring the baby, checking the cervix, things like that. So uh, I don't know. It's food for thought. Yeah, it is something to think about. Also, I feel like I would genuinely feel blessed if I went into labor on my own. that's a game changer yeah so i feel even lucky enough to get there because i didn't even have that the first time so if i go into labor on my own i guess i'll just go from there and see how i'm feeling and call sarah and have her kind of guide me through that moment and see what works best and what i can handle or what she thinks because that's something i'm not familiar with but i am open to going with the flow Okay. That's always healthy. Are you doing anything to prepare for the postpartum on the mental health side? I'm working now with my therapist. She told me I had PTSD from my first one that I've been neglecting to work on. So we're working on that and we're doing a little bit more intense therapy to prepare myself for it. 
but I'm not taking any sort of antidepressant or anything. I mean, but you have a mind now for what it might feel like on the other side. It seems like you'll probably catch it sooner and your therapist is on board with it. So it's like you guys will have a lifeline right away. Yeah. So I feel that working through issues now will help them not feel so intense after the baby. Because, you know, everything does drop and change drastically after you have the baby. And if you already are feeling those, any sort of low lows or you're feeling any sort of trauma, it's just going to really hit like a ton of bricks, at least for myself. So I'm trying to lighten my mind and my emotions and my heart as much as I can before it's time for the big day. How many weeks are you? I believe I'm 37. This is it. You're in the zone, man. I'm in the zone. And like my stomach is so tight. I just don't know how much longer the baby will be. In there. Yeah. <laughs> how so big I'm was your really first? Seven three. Do you have a prediction on this one? Seven three. Oh wow. Okay. You're going for the same season. Yeah. From what my doctor even said, she's like, they're gonna be about the same size. Okay. If I go full term, if I don't go full term, he'll probably be like six, nine, six, ten. Hmm. I'm predicting seven, four. Seven, four. Well, let's see. Let's see who gets closer. I feel like I'm on the prices right. One dollar. <laughs> seven, four. So then what would I say? Seven, three or six, ten? If know. he's full term, seven, three. If he's not full term, six, ten. I'm going seven, four, no matter what. Okay. I don't know that he had the hyperemesis. I don't know how that affects things. All right, we'll find out. It's a work in progress. Okay, Michelle, you're the real real. You tell it like it is. You don't hold back, and it's refreshing. And I'm sorry for the lows that you've had in the journey, and I'm happy for you for the highs that you had. You're a passionate person, so when you're happy, you're super happy. When you're mad, I wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> that is not fair. You started off with this podcast calling me gentle, and now you're... <laughs> No, you're very passionate. You're gentle as a trainer. Like you have this like gentle, motivating, I don't know. It's hard to explain, but you're a passionate person is all I'm saying. Like passionate people feel things on a bigger level, which is why when you were so happy to have a baby and in love with your baby and in love with your partner and feeling sad, like that's obviously something's not adding up there and you realized it and you dealt with it, but yeah, you're just passionate and you're real. You don't hide it. And, you know, I know that you must be somewhat anxious about going into this birth, especially if you have PTSD, but. Yeah, I'm pretty anxious, but I feel like I'm doing everything possible. Like, I feel like this time I'm a little bit more prepared. I I still have some preparing to do, but I feel 90% better than I even did when we first started working together on getting my body in the right place. So thank you, by the way, because no, I know, but really, because it's made such a difference for me mentally. Like I didn't even know I was reaching out for support and you just were like, it sounds like you need support. So like, Mm. how can I be here for you? And you've really showed up and pointed me in a lot of really amazing directions and opened up my eyes and my mind in a lot of ways. And so I appreciate it. And you opened up my body. (laughs) No, you're amazing. I would try to put the therapy in massage therapy. (laughs) so 37 weeks that means next time we talk to you on the podcast you'll be holding this baby in your arms and we'll find out the rest of the story and we'll find out more about your fitness app and especially the pre and probably soon postnatal elements of it yes you know there's going to be a postnatal program i cannot wait thank you so much where can we find you online you can find me on instagram at at michelle maturo with one l And then simple enough, my app is just in the bio. It's the easiest way to get to it. And then I will give you guys a link and you could just probably click it here in the comments. Oh yeah. We'll pop it up there. Yeah. What's it called? Move with Michelle. Oh, that's so great. So (laughs) I know I'm just saying it sounds like a moving company. You know what? It is a moving company. I'm moving your body. Thank you. I walked right into that, but you're right. (laughs) All right, Michelle, have an amazing birth. We'll talk to you on the other side. Thanks, Dr. B. Thanks for listening to the Informed Pregnancy Podcast. After you check out at Michelle Maturo with one L, visit us on Instagram at Dr. Berlin, D-O-C-T-O-R-B-E-R-L-I-N. 
I got a whole lot of questions for you. 